Last week, we read from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, also known as 1 Thessalonians. Today, we're picking up where we left off, and we're going to continue reading in that letter. And a good summary would be to say this, that today is about the messenger and the message. The messenger and the message. Listen now for the word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. He has some recommendations, some changes, some items that he needs to address. But in the process, he builds on the experience they had when he and Silas and Timothy, the three of them who are now writing, when they were among them. He's appealing to the experience that the church in Thessalonica had when they were there. He's talking about themselves as messengers who carried the message. Messengers who carried the message. Now, we all know that there are times where the messenger can get in the way of the message or times where there can be a disconnect between the messenger and the message. Churches throughout North America struggle with this. People have all sorts of accusations to point out that Christians don't always behave as Christians. There are large church systems that have taken enormous falls in recent years. There's the Mars Hill church phenomenon that went through tremendous pain and sorrow. There is now the more recent, um, oh goodness, it just went out of my mind. So maybe I'll just leave that thought. 
Anyways, the point is that sometimes the messenger can get in the way of the message. But Paul wants to emphasize to the church that is believing now in Thessalonica who they are to be, and he's lifting up themselves as a potential model, as messengers. And the first item that he wants to address with them was the item in which they worked hard, extra hard, they worked very hard not to be a burden to them, to not cost the people of Thessalonica anything because they were there. And they were there to deliver the message, but he points out, we worked hard, we toiled hard day and night so that you wouldn't have to worry about us. We worked for ourselves so that we could bring you the message. Reminds me of years ago as a youth leader, there was always the challenge to raise enough funds for whatever the youth were going to do, activities, mission trips, what have you. So I was always in search of the next and best greatest fundraiser. And for me, that usually meant the least amount of work with the most amount of profit. Makes sense, doesn't it? We came across this thing called the totally free car wash. Now, many of us have gone to a free car wash. Has anybody been to a free car wash before? And is a free car wash free? No. Most of us know that if we go to a free car wash, there's a donation at the end, right? You can give to this, you know, give how much you want, but How many of us have ever gone to a totally free car wash and said, well, you said it was free and I could donate. I don't have to donate. I'm not going to donate. Bye. How many of us have done that? Nobody's raising their hand. I'm the only one. So the totally free car wash, the message is it's free. But the reality is it isn't. But this totally free car wash that we did was free for every car that came. You see, the youth raised their funds by going out and getting donors beforehand, and the donors were all giving, you know, I'll give you five cents for every car you wash. The way this car wash worked is the more cars that were washed, people had said that they would give a certain amount for every car washed. But the trick was the day of that every car that came had to understand that they were not allowed to give anything. They couldn't give to the totally free car wash because the money was already raised per car that was washed. So think about that for a moment. You're up against the totally free car wash where everybody knows, oh, I got to give a donation. So in that first half hour to hour, you can know the trickle of cars that came in. But we were ready for them. We washed their car, and at the end, they'd say, well, how much would you, are you looking for? What's it for? And we'd hand them a sheet and say, no, you don't understand. This is totally free. We can't. The youth would tell them, we cannot accept any money. We can't accept a check. We can't accept anything from you today. The money is already raised. This is totally free. It is a gift to you. If you really want to help us, and that's driving you nuts, bring your other car. Tell your neighbor. Because the more cars we wash, the more money we'll raise. So you can see how in the early hour, you know, cars kind of trickled in. But then it started to snowball. And the cars started to come. And they started to line up 
around the block. Even a semi-truck came, which was really a hard thing to do, quite frankly. We didn't have the ladders for it, but we washed half of it. <laughs> the first half. But you understand that there were some who really struggled with the idea that this was a totally free car wash. I still remember the youth who was our, one of our best at explaining what was happening, explained it to the person at the front end, explained it to them at the back end, and the person's like, no, I've got to give you something, gave a $10 back. The, the girl politely gave it back. He said, no, I've got to give you back. And it went back and forth through the window. Finally, he started to move the car. And now they're doing the back and forth as the car's moving. And ultimately, we found out about this event because we heard the squeeching of tires because he peeled out as he threw the $10 bill out the door. <laughs> you see, Paul and Silas and Timothy were up against the reality that there were a lot of traveling people, a lot of people preaching and teaching different things about all sorts of other gods. And what was to make them any different? People would see someone like Paul and Silas and Timothy coming and, oh, you know, yeah, we got to be nice or we should listen or if we listen, we got to give a little something. You know, it's like the street corner vendor. If, you know, they're playing a beautiful piece of music and it's wonderful and the, the violin case is open there and we're all piled around listening and enough people are up front and they're giving stuff, but we're in the back. You're kind of like, gosh, do I really have to? I listen. I only listen. And, you know, we do this rationale in our mind. I listen to only half of the piece. Do I really have to give something? Paul and Silas and Timothy are dealing with the reality that when people like them come around, others expect they have to do something. But they're the messengers of the message. And the message is God's totally free gift of grace. And so their presentation is such that they work Paul was a tent maker, and I don't really know what Silas and Timothy's jobs were. They probably worked with him, but they worked on their own to raise their own funds, and they had some other people that were supporting them, but they were busy about giving the gospel message that is free. Now, just before what we read today, he speaks to back uh, in the first eight verses, he says, hey, look, we had a right. We could have asked that of you. As apostles, we could have demanded that. We had a right. We chose not to in your circumstance because we knew how important it was for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is a free gift from God, for you to understand that in every way, this is a free gift to you. So he starts out by reminding them, look, when we were with you, we worked hard day and night. We toiled hard so that we would not be a burden to you. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that people, when they see us coming, they see and are expecting to sniff out our ulterior motives, why we're doing what we're doing, why we're being nice, what's in it for us, and we need to pay attention to the fact that the message that we carry, the gospel, is a gift. And we need to start thinking about how much we approach other people in a way that they're expecting us to want something. But we're not about wanting anything, but truly sharing what we've discovered. Just like those who 
ran back and told their neighbors, hey, if you really want your car washed, they're doing it for free down there. That's how the gospel begins to spread. He moves on from there. He moves on from that first item and reminding them, hey, look, remember, we, we didn't burden you. We, we shared this message. But additionally, you may remember that our conduct, that is the way we behaved among you. Remember what our conduct was? Our conduct was that we were holy and we were righteous and we were blameless. Holy, righteous, and blameless. Holy, you know, a lot of times we talk about that. That's being set apart. That's a sense of pure. And so many times in our culture, when we hear the word holy used, or even the word righteous used, we think of people who think they're holy, that they walk on water, or righteous. We think righteous as in terms of self-righteous. They think they're better than anyone. But that's not what Paul is talking about at all. Paul is talking about being holy, being truly set apart, that they are, in fact, different. That they are, in fact, countercultural because they carry a message that is countercultural. They serve a God who is giving the free gift of love first and foremost in hopes that we'll take it up and respond and begin to love back different than every other God who demanded sacrifices and everything else under the world just so they'd stay happy. That's not who God is at all. And so Paul says, hey, look, at we were set apart. We were holy. We were set apart. And that means you know that that looked different among you. We behaved differently. We didn't go with the flow of culture. We stopped and interacted with the problems that others might look past. Just like uh, Peter and John, when they were walking into the temple uh, and they encountered the beggar as they were going in, the beggar's like asking for coin. And, and Peter and John say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. We carry a message that is profound. There is no message greater than the one we have been burdened with. You know, I, I uh, because of my kids, have gotten into a habit of, of, of studying different missionaries. Um, one was Gladys Allward. She was a missionary to China. She didn't get accepted on any of the missionary boards. As a matter of fact, she failed the tests. They were unwilling to send her. Eventually, she raised her own funds and got herself over to China. This was in the mid-1900s before World War II. It was a heroin journey that made, got her there, and she got there on a shoestring. And when she got to the person she thought she might work with, it was a whole host of disasters. But in the end, they started to make a little headway started to make a little headway into China. Eventually, the Mandarin, think of kind of the local governor of the state or the region, the Mandarin gave her the responsibility because it had come down to the larger government that there should no longer be foot binding. And the Mandarin put her in charge to go from household to household and try and instruct that. Well, as she got this newfound authority, other things came with. 
one day the local prison rioted. And the prisoners inside were literally slaughtering one another. The guards were outside. Everybody was in fear. They were enclosed. And the prisoners were just, it was awful. And the prison, the person in charge of the prison, decided to call Gladys, the missionary we've just spoken of, Gladys Allward. For her to come and solve the problem. She came, she's like, ah, what am I supposed to do? I, I'm just the, the, you know, the, the foot person. Ah, what am I? I don't have anything to do with this. And the person in charge of the prison said to her, you always claim that the living God is inside of you. So get in there because if the living God is inside of you, you can't be harmed. That was not a moment to discuss theology and how he had a poor interpretation of what she meant by the living God inside of her. But in the next moment, she found herself thrust inside and in the midst of the chaos. She struggles to describe the events because it was a bloody mess. And as her mind is racing to catch up with the circumstances, she sees a man running at her in absolute terror with another man coming behind with a machete in hand. And from wherever it came, I think we know, she suddenly yelled out, Stop! Drop your weapon. All of you, drop your weapons and line up right here. And the man with the machete with the craze looked in his hands stopped, dropped his weapon. And the others in hiding came out and they started to line up. Thinking fast, looking at them, seeing the rags they were in, the, the incredible mess they were in, she, she thought fast and she said, I'm here on behalf of the governor. And I'm here to hear what your grievances are, but there's no way I can go to the governor until you clean up all of this mess. Get busy, clean it up. And once you've cleaned it up, come back and we'll discuss what your problems are. When they came back after cleaning up, she discovered that they had no purpose. They sat from morning till night with nothing, no jobs, nothing to do whatsoever. Their life was endless and full of horror. And she began to implement changes. That is set apart. That is seeing the world the way it really is. Seeing the pain and the struggle and what people are really dealing with. That is entering in with righteousness, a love and a care that really cares about what is right. You know, if, if everyone lived in righteousness, there would be no need for justice. Justice exists because righteousness is not followed. We were holy, we were righteous, we were blameless among you. Why? Because we didn't want to interfere with the message we carried. And the message we carried has impacted us enough that we are now starting to live out the very grace that has been given to us. So where I am justified to be mad at you because you did this to me, I'm working on forgiveness. 
where in the world's eyes I have every right to come after you. I'm working on forgiveness because I've been forgiven. Paul doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop at recognizing, hey, they're going to see us as traveling salesmen. We've got, we got to make sure they understand this is a free gift. And, you know, we, we lived in a certain way among you. He went back to what the gospel is really about. The good news of Jesus Christ is as was read just a little bit ago, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He died in our place. He was a sacrifice. He took our place. But because he was holy and divine, he took the place of everyone, not just one person, everyone. That whoever believes in him, that he actually did that. Whoever believes in him, will have life, life eternal, a new life. Not just in the life to come, but a new life now as well. It reshapes who we are. There is a need to understand that what we carry in the message is we carry a treasure. We all have treasures, all of us, but this is the greatest treasure. We all have treasures. I mean, I was visiting one of the people in our congregation, and I was looking on the wall, and there is this this picture of his wife when they were younger. It's a beautiful picture, a black and white picture, just absolutely stunning. She looked very nice. But I was blown away when I learned that the black and white picture I was looking at was truly, and I had to be told this, it was a pencil drawing that another buddy had drawn for him when they were in Vietnam. He had given his picture over of his wife, and, and that person proceeded to draw it in black and white. I promise you, if you ever see this picture, you have to look hard at it to realize it's a drawing. And so this thing is hung on the wall. It is a treasure. But you know what? That's not their true treasure. The true treasure is once I admired that, they brought out this stump cut in half about four inches thick and on it is painted a beautiful rooster because they have a granddaughter who's an artist and they love everything she does and they said one time can you can you paint a rooster on this so i can give the give this to grandma yeah absolutely so they bring out this huge i mean this is heavy and it's a treasure it's valued more than that picture on the wall because their granddaughter did it but once you admire that they'll bring out another picture from when this same granddaughter was six or seven and was just looking in the pond in the backyard and drew a picture of the lily pads in the water. It's impressive for a young child. These are treasures, but they compare nothing compared to what we carry in the message of God's love for us, the grace that has been given to us, a grace that allows us to start again with each new breath, that we are forgiven. But with that gift, here's the, ah, yeah, there's, there is a catch. Which that gift, 
Paul now challenges the Thessalonians and us as well to live into that gift. He says, look, when I was with you, I was like a father. And he draws on this fatherly image of that time. A mother might be nurturing and caring, but the father was the one responsible for making sure that the household, the children in the household understood this is the way we behave. You will do everything to bring honor to the household and you will avoid everything that brings shame to this household. This is how you shall live. And so Paul draws on that image and says, I was like a father among you. Now that you've been given this good news, now that you've been given this grace, this is now how you are called to live. And he says, I exhorted you. I encouraged you. I charged you. Exhorted. That, think about that as kind of the, the pushing, the kind of, kind of here, we're here, we're, you know, encouraging is encouraging. Come on, you can do it, you know, and, and drawing the person to you, you know, come on, you got it, you got it, you can do this. It's like encouraging a cross-country meet, you know, the, the runners are almost spent. You can do it, you only got 50 more yards, come on, you can do it. Exhorting is urging, pushing us off of the place we're in, we're stuck in, and kind of pushing us to move forward. It's that person who finally gets us to start doing that exercise that we've talked about doing for years. It's that person who helps us to stop eating and drinking all the stuff we said we'd stop years ago. It's that final push. He exhorted, he encouraged and he charged. That third one is, whew, that's the most heavy of all. And the charge is this, that we live in a manner worthy of the God who's given us this gift. Not so that we can earn this gift, but that we live in a manner worthy of the gift that we've just received. In other words, now that we have received the message of God's love for us, we are now burdened, and I'll call it that, as well as charged to live out that gift, to live out that grace and that love that God has given Paul is intent upon saying the messenger and the message and the conduct of our life when we were among you is such that you've got to remember that we are messengers. The truth of the matter is the people out there, the world out there looks at the people in here and says that we're a bunch of hypocrites. And they're right. That's because they're hypocrites too. It's easy to identify. We're all hypocrites. The only difference is, is that we are hypocrites that have found the one who will save us from our situation. And so Paul said, the messenger and the message. Be careful as a messenger to convey and live out the message. Don't get in the way of the message. But just in case we're burdened with that and feel like, oh no, I messed up again, or I don't even want to try for fear that I'll make a misstep. That's where most of us are. We don't even want to try. We want to live that to someone who's probably better than us. But Paul writes this in the very end, and I want you to hear it. It's in verse 13. And we also thank God, not you, not the Thessalonians, thank God constantly for this. What do we thank God for? 
that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, the messengers, you accepted it not as the word of man, not as from the messenger. It's not the word of the messenger. You received it as the word of God. In the end, we are the messengers carrying the word, but we never are who it's about. And ultimately, we will know when the word of God settles into the heart of another because they will accept it as the word of God and having nothing to do with us. And in that way, we know that our conduct is on point. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we hear your call for us to live out now in your word, to live in that grace. Help us. Help us to fall again and again on your grace and to trust in you and not in ourselves. And help us to recognize that you have called us to be set apart for your purposes and for your glory. That we are called to live in a manner worthy of the gift that you've given us so that others might come to know the grace, the free gift that we do not deserve, could never earn or ever repay, the grace that you have given us through Jesus Christ. To you, almighty God, be all the glory. Amen. In the Psalms, we'll read that the heavens declare the glory of God. Earth to earth, the heavens declare the glory of God. And in that, we see the artistic expression that the very creation we can look at and see something to know of the artist, the creator. But God's greatest work the artist's greatest work is in you, in your receiving Jesus Christ. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours this day and forevermore. Amen.